We are talking markets again. Uh, my name is Raik van Ikerk and my guest today is Murray Winkler. He is the co-founder and a portfolio manager at Lorium Capital. Uh, Murray, welcome to the show. Let's start with uh, what many people think is one of the uh, developments that would have the most profound impact on markets this year, and that is Donald Trump. Um, you know, the markets have reacted surprisingly positive since his election, um, but he has been in office for only two weeks, uh, and it has been a busy two weeks. Uh, what do you expect of him? Do you, do you think he will be able to move the market in any significant way this year? Hirak, yes. Uh, he's going to cause a lot of volatility, I think, in markets. Um, as you say, over two weeks, he's come out with a couple of clangers. He's upset a lot of people. And I'm sure in the next, in the next, in the coming months, there's going to be a lot of <clears throat> angst around trade policies, um, international relations. I mean, it's Iran now. He's having a go at the moment, which, as you can see, the impact on MTN today. And I think he's pretty pro-business, and I think if you, he's probably over time, if fiscal stimulus will end up being relatively good over the next um, sort of 12 to 24 months for the, for the year. So if he does 75% of what he says he does, he doesn't upset too many people, but there are a lot of risks around that. Probably we will see some pretty decent growth coming out of the U.S., and, and the strength in the dollar will probably continue as we move forward in the next sort of 12 to 18 months. So you expect a, a, a stronger dollar. Um, you know, one of the arguments is that um, if the, he follows through with the protectionist policies, um, you know, it would increase the costs of American business and impact on earnings. Um, do you think that is a significant concern or are there other factors that would outweigh it? I think the first thing, if we look at what's going on in the U.S. at the moment, I mean, if you look at sort of industrial production and um, purchasing, purchasing manager um, surveys, at the end of last last quarter, the numbers are quite good. There's a decent pickup in the U.S. and, gro and growth this year will be quite good. Inflation probably in the uh, sort of one and a half or so. So the, the economy was recovering reasonably well, um, hence rates are moving up. Now you chuck in Trump on top of this, and he's plans this big fiscal stimulus. And this, there are a lot of comments out there. If he does, sort of, uh, let's say again, coming back to 75% what, he, what he's saying on the fiscal side, you probably add another two. You could add up to 2% per annum growth on top of existing growth. So it could be quite big by the time you get into next year, um, which means rates go up a little bit uh, quicker as well. And then the big thing is if he goes out and drops tax rates and, and forces a lot of internationals to bring their cash home, that cash coming back home um, and tax rates being dropped will have a big impact. And I think that's why you could see the dollar in that environment relatively strong. I think the big risk then is what happens on trade policy with China, because China obviously has a lot of surplus um, dollars invested into T-bills in the U.S. So that's that's a big unknown, how that dynamic plays out. So overall, on the political side, there's a lot of risk with him in, in power. But if he doesn't do too much, it uh, doesn't upset too many people net-net, I think you will see a lot better growth coming out of the U.S. And we still think um, the dollar probably could be quite easy by end of the year. Our best guess, and I say it's a guess because we can't forecast currencies, but probably somewhere close to parity by the end of the year. And, and dollar against the dollar euro, dollar euro, which is sitting at the moment at uh, about one one point oh seven.
If you have a million rand, which you don't need for 10 years, uh, would you put it in the U.S. market? Look, I guess it all depends on where all your investments. Um, so how much in South Africa, how much offshore, offshore, which markets? I think the U.S. market, the S&P 500, which is probably represents um, 45% of the total markets in the world. So um, that's, that's a good benchmark for global. You could go MSCI World, but maybe going the U.S. market. Um, I think you've seen you in the eighth year of a bull market um, in the U.S. and returns have been pretty good. So going forward the next sort of 10 years, I think returns out of the U.S. are going to be pretty, pretty modest. And if you work on maybe um, a 5% total return um, the next 10 years, that, that sort of range, 5 to maybe 7 is what you get out of the U.S. Uh, equities definitely to us look a lot better than bonds over the next 10 years. But bear in mind, returns from equities, I think, going forward the next 10 years are going to be relatively modest compared to the last 10 years. Let's look at the local market. Uh, you know, apart from the Trump factor, we also have local political developments. And it will be a, a potentially explosive political year in South Africa. Um, what, what are your views on the local market? Uh, our market for the last three years has really gone nowhere. Um, we've been uh, maybe if you if you add dividends in total returns, probably somewhere around three percent compound return per year. It's been less than cash. Um, and where we stand at the moment, um, from an economic point of view, on the positive side, is uh, uh, the economy growth rate last year has bottomed. Uh, at around the half a percent. This year, with the drought, um, commodities improving, we think growth is going to be somewhere, perhaps even as, as high as one and a half percent this coming year. And um, possibly by the end of the year, with inflation coming down, food inflation in particular, we could see rate cuts um, fourth quarter this year, albeit modest or early into next year. So the economic cycle is turning, which is quite good. Um, consumers are under a lot of pressure in South Africa. And I think we'll see it in a lot of retail results coming through in the next um, sort of six months. Um, insurance companies really struggling and banks as well. But once the cycle bottoms, um, the market tends to look to 12 to 18 months forward. And with rates coming down, I think that the outlook is definitely a lot more bullish this year than it was last year for markets. Um, but then, and the other thing to remember is that probably 55% of the South African index is actually international shares. So a lot depends on what the internationals do. Your, your Nuspers is very important, your Richemont, your British American tobacco. But, so you need to be very aware of that. But pure domestic South Africa, which is the banks, insurance, retailers, domestic industrials, I think the outlook over the next 18 months is a lot better. And valuations have also come back quite a bit, particularly particularly the retailers last year under quite a lot of pressure, banks on 10 times multiples. Mm. So I think the, the, the outlook definitely looks fairly decent. And we think cash rates are quite high uh, at the moment. I mean, I guess you can get a money market fund sort of 8% or so. But um, I think that equities are going to do um, quite a lot better over the next 12 to 18 months relative to cash. Just um, returning to your remark regarding uh, international shareholding, last year we've seen a significant outflow, uh, especially from equities um, from foreigners. Um, in January, that trend seemed to have continued. Are you worried about foreigners uh, taking money out of South Africa? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's right last year. So we had bond inflows, everyone playing the carry trade, and then equities, a lot of negative out, sort of outflows. Um, I guess there were SAB Miller, there's some distortions in those numbers. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was probably over 100 billion or so rands net out. Um, things like SAB delisting, so money, some of the internationals held it here going out and distorted the numbers a bit. And then we had a lot of flows out of EM, which we correlate very closely to. And that that's also, we were part of that tide. And... It, it was surprising because the currency was so strong last year. So it was really the bonds driving it. Um, for this year, I guess the big theme again is developed markets versus EM. Um, some of the EM markets, the growth rates look quite good this year. But if a dollar is going to be relatively strong, it generally provides a bit of a headwind uh, for EM markets. Um, very difficult to call what will happen uh, in SA for the year on, on flows. Um, the biggest issue is going to be on the political front, I guess, how things play out for the rest of the year. If we get a positive settlement um, by the end of the year in the ANC, um, if, we, if we get, for instance, a possibly a, a Cyril, Cyril Ramaphosa getting in, um, that could be seen, I think, very business-friendly in a very positive light. Um, with the economy inflation coming down, um, you could see the internationals, some big inflows into our markets uh, in the second half of the year. Just looking at your uh, individual uh, funds, um, your uh, flexible fund uh, has uh, been, you know, performing relatively okay um, if you compare it to other funds. Um, but I'm very inter interested in your top shareholdings, Naspers, 9%, which is significant, um, and Exaro Resources, 4.6%. Just talk about those two. Why are you so so bullish on those two? Okay, okay. Um, yeah, that fund, I, I guess, uh, has, be, has been going for four years. In fact, it was a fourth-year birthday. Was yes, it was end of last month, and it is number one since inception four years ago. So it's been going very well. <laughs> um, that's out of seventy-something funds. Um, last year, they had a very pedestrian year. It was sort of marginally, uh, marginally negative, but still, overall, has done very well. Um, Position-wise, Nuspers is a very big stock in the index. Um, it's in the Orsha index about 15%, and the Swix, the shareholder weighted, it's about 18%. Because um, it's done so well over time, it's just um, the worry I guess a lot of people have is that the valuations are full. Um, the primary driver is Tencent in China. And in fact, if you buy Nuspers, you're effectively getting 117% of of ten cent because it's trading at a thirty three percent discount to the sum of the parts. So there's say a big margin of safety in buying the stock. And ten cent is still growing at a very rapid rate. Probably in dollar terms this year it'll still be around thirty percent growth rate, but it's trading on a demanding rating of of around twenty eight times forward. Um, so there's a risk if something goes wrong in China, policies change, um, there's a big hiccup, it, it will get a, become under pressure. But the fundamentals still look extremely good for that business going forward. And it's a nice way to play it is to get into Nuspers. You get more than 100% of Tencent. You get all the, the, the rest of the businesses in Nuspers for, for free, the DSTVs, mm. Mailru, and all of that. So we think it looks, quite, it looks pretty good. Um, last year it did very little. I think it was marginally down on the year. And I think for, so after a bit of a breather, we think this year the returns from the stock should be pretty good. Mm. Exaro? 
Exaro is a specific situation where um, if you look at the composition of the business, um, 50% is coal, and of the coal business, 80% is cost plus contracts with Eskom, and then it owns uh, into effectively um, Kumba, and then it owns it owns um, Tronox in the States. It's sort of 25% of the NAV. And there's been a B, re, uh, sort of B's come to an end. There's been a big placing and was done at a very deep discount. Um, we managed to end of last year get in at 87 Rand and when they placed the stock. Today it's about 106 Rand. It's gone up quite nicely, so in the last two months. And we think it's very undervalued. There is still another placing that we think will happen in the next three to six months. But if you look at the coal business, that alone is trading on um, an EV to EBITDA of about two and a half times. So if you strip out the listed components effectively, that's what you're getting. It is extremely cheap. Mm. Um, Lorium is also a big player in the hedge fund space. Um, how has your hedge funds performed relative to the equity fund over the last few years? Yeah, I guess um, we st- our business started off eight and a half years ago, and we've, we've been in, initially in hedge funds, which we still run um, sort of 25% of our business hedge fund, about three and a half billion rand. Um, and over the eight, eight and a half years, our main long short um, hedge fund has, has um, d- generated a return of, of sort of 13% per annum. And it's about 1.8% compound per year uh, faster than the all share index. And that obviously is net of hedge funds fees, which as people know, they pay high fees. So you need to generate decent returns to offset the fees. And yeah, it's, it's done fairly well. And then from a risk point of view, on a risk adjusted factor, um, it's been the numbers are significantly better th- than than that as well. Just looking at your fact sheet of the uh, Lorium Long Short um, Edge Fund, the it says a, a annual management fee of one percent um, XVAT and then an annual performance fee of twenty percent XVAT. Um, a lot of many people will look at that and say, "Wow, twenty percent! When does uh, that fee kick in?" Okay, um, so hedge fund, our fees, our management fee, as you say, is 1%. And then we have an annual hurdle that we have to beat to get our 20% performance fee. And that means the investor has to get at least Steffi, which is, um, it's, it's a cash hurdle. Uh, right now, Steffi um, is, is about 8%. So we can't take our performance fee unless over 12 months we give an investor at least an 8% return. So it's once we get above that, we can start taking a, tw- a 20% um, performance fee. Mm-hmm. So the fees are, um, people get nervous on hedge fund fees, they are high, but I think that you've got to look at what is the net return that you're able to generate over time. And as I say, we have done 1.8% compound per annum ahead of the Aussie um, since inception each year. Is that after? F- after no, that absolutely. That's, yeah. that's what the investor gets. Anything we quote is what the investor gets. Yeah, that's mm. after fees. Uh, you, you've said earlier, you know, markets uh, could be very volatile this year. You know, is, um, or is a hedge fund uh, an a vehicle or an instrument that could reduce the risk exposure of uh, retail investors. Yeah, hedge, hedge funds are quite are quite a complex um, 
investment class to understand because if you look globally there's three there's three three trillion dollars in hedge funds they're probably about nine thousand different types of hedge funds you get high risk hedge funds you get low risk hedge funds so there's a huge divergence in um how hedge funds are run so and in south africa we generally quite conservative the industries um the managers the guys who've been around um a long time generally of are relatively conservative and we haven't had any blowouts as such as you've had on the international side so i guess it's understanding the the strategy of the hedge fund and the risk parameters that they use and generally i mean if you look at the returns and i take the top 10 hedge funds that have been around probably the last let's say five plus years where most of the assets are on the the risk adjusted returns are um, or deviation of returns are way below what the all share index is. So as a whole, the industry grouping um, has a lot lower risk profile than just investing straight into the all share index. And from an industry perspective, the returns, um, does that beat uh, the Aussie? Yeah, again, I think it depends. Um, you have market neutral funds, you have equity funds, um, and it depends how much um, risk you take in the equity fund. But uh, I'd say on uh, on a risk adjusted basis, the, the index of hedge funds, um, again, I do, if I say over the the time we've been in there, has been uh, risk adjusted return has been well ahead of, of, of the Aussie adjusted for risk. On the straight return as such, I think the, the average is very similar to the Aussie um, return after fees, sort of, which, which is which has been about 11% um, compound over that eight years. Not not such a great return for the Aussie, um, but so the index is is very much the same, and the risk adjust on the returns in terms of volatility is significantly lower for the index. Yeah, so the the mean guy has been very much in line. You have recently opened up your your hedge funds to for retail investors. Um, what has the response been? Um, it's only been on, I guess, open to retail investors now for for about five months, and. Right now, a lot of these are not on platforms. So Liberty Investex, for instance, they're busy in process being put on. So as a result of that, we haven't seen too much going into the from retail investors into the hedge space. So until it's on the platforms, um, we think there's probably not that much coming in. We do a lot of we do have a lot of sort of high net worth individuals in our funds, probably about a billion and a half of the money we run is from sort of high net with individuals that came in prior to moving to retail space. So, but if we look out over the next three to five years, we think there'll be quite a decent retail take up once the funds are actually on the platforms. Well, your initial hurdle is, um, well, the minimum lump sum investment is 250,000 Rand. It's definitely aimed at high net worth individuals. Uh, Are you looking maybe to drop that to entice other, you know, uh, smaller investors? Yeah, what will happen is, again, that is what we've had of people coming direct to us. Um, previously, it had been, it was for, for high net with individuals, it had been a million rand when it wasn't on the retail space. So we've just had that if people coming direct to us. But once it's on the platforms, um, I think that number that number will be lowered. If it's, if it's, for instance, on a Liberty platform, it's likely to be 50,000 would be the minimum investment for an individual to come in. So that'll open it a lot more to the retail space. You've been running for a few years. Why? Um does it seem so difficult for you to get onto those platforms? No, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. 
difficult to get onto platforms. I think it's um, the hedge fund space is new going into retail space, and I, I guess um, there probably hasn't been a priority from the, from a lot of the platforms to get the hedge funds up and running. So um, putting the structures, some um, I guess diversified products, almost like a multi-manager product. Um, some of the guys are looking at. So it's in process, and I think from, from our, our side, from our funds, I think in the next um, probably month and a half, we'll see our, the first platform mm. that we will be on. And as we move forward, we'll, we'll probably end up being in about four different platforms. That so it is just a, it's just an administrative process. Yeah. Obviously, financial advisors would need to advise their, their clients to invest um, in these funds. What do you think is the knowledge level of the average financial advisor of hedge funds and how it could benefit a portfolio? Um, I think there's a big education process that still needs to be done. I mean, obviously, there's long only funds are a lot simpler than hedge because instead of just being long only, you're now going shorting shares. And um, so it's a, it's a big process of education and very important for people to. Uh, for, so, financial advisors, I think, have got a lot to learn about hedge funds. There, are, there is a small percentage of them that are very familiar with the hedge funds, and obviously we've we've had some of them putting their clients in with us. So, but I think as a general, as a whole, um, there's a lot of education that needs to be done to actually understand the different products out there and um, the actual risk of each fund. Just lastly, how does the South African development of hedge funds or adoption of hedge hedge funds? differ from other markets like, you know, where, like the U.S. market where hedge funds are a lot more, you know, known and, and, and popular. Um, are we behind the curve? From uh, The hedge fund industry in South Africa is very small. So it's probably these days probably 70, 80 billion rand. If you compare to the unit trust industry of two trillion, it's tiny. Uh, and then globally, as you say, the, 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 the $3 trillion. A lot of the endowments in the U.S., um, particularly of, of, of places like Harvard, Boston, um, they, they make huge use of hedge funds. So it's very much more accepted. And South Africa, actually, on the regulatory side of hedge fund, is well ahead of the rest of the world. So the fact that managers have to be regulated with the FSB, and now we have a retail product out here as well um, that, that has to be approved by um, the FSB. Um, we are definitely right at the cutting edge of uh, regulating and risk control of hedge funds. So that side is very good. But I think the adoption um, by consultants and that, because of fees are quite high, um, they haven't really pushed it that much. But I think uh, as we move forward over time, there will definitely be more uh, money moving into the hedge funds. Who should invest in hedge funds? For people to invest in hedge funds, very important to get financial advisors to understand hedge funds and they're able to sift out which, which the different risk profiles within hedge funds and understand what your objective is and the risks you take around that objective. And on the hedge funds as a whole, people who've been around quite a while, um, the risks are a lot lower um, than people do perceive. But it's important to understand that, though, to understand the product first. Thank you, Murray. That was Murray Winkler. He is of Lorium Capital.